it breaks my heart to see that this is still a problem. And it's not about responsive design. It's about like the basics of mobile friendliness. And the thing that drives me the most insane is font sizes. Like people are like using font sizes that are just way, way too small. Like you are making me work so hard. And you know, sometimes if I really want it, I'll, I'll pinch and zoom, but like, when you get to the point where you're asking your subscribers to pinch and zoom, like you've lost, you know, the vast majority of your audience. They're just not going to do it. Today in Inboxing, best-selling author, Chad White, head of research at Oracle Marketing Consulting. Welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. We are at Inboxing Season 2, brought to you by Hillberg Email Marketing. And no one else at the moment. Uh, if you're looking to advertise, I can mention your company, and a lot of email marketing people are listening, and especially tonight, and especially when this episode gets released in January. Because uh, tonight's guest is someone very, very special, somebody who's been doing email for a very long time and really like sort of like led the way in a lot of ways by writing the email marketing rules, which personally became sort of like an email marketing Bible to me. I based presentations on it. So anyway, I'm a huge, huge fan. Chad White has had a long journey through the email. You know, he's probably been doing email for almost 20 years. And it's been a long journey uh, from ESPs to uh, consulting. Uh, he's really like, He's the inner circle, uh, the White Tower people. That's how I think of it. But uh, let him tell his story and uh, get a lot of wisdom that he has and that he's going to be sharing with us tonight. So without any further ado, please welcome Chad White. Chad! <laughs> Hello, well, everyone. Welcome to uh, Inboxing. Oh, thank you, and uh, thanks for that lovely introduction. For sure, sure. How's the, uh, the White Tower? <laughs> I, I've never... I've never heard that one before, so I, I, I hope that I'm not viewed as like up in a white tower separate from everyone. But, you know, I love this industry and yeah, I've been in the industry for formally about 15 years, uh, hardcore, so not quite 20. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love this space and the people are amazing. So, yeah, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Like everyone's been so gracious. Yeah, I mean, I miss the face-to-face -face conferences because, like, people are so, so nice. The, the information sharing and helping each other out is is really amazing. The, the community um, feel is pretty spectacular. And, you know, I'm sure there are other industries that are as nice as ours, but ours is pretty nice. There's some pretty <laughs> fantastic people in our industry. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I did a little UX. So that industry also, I know there's a lot of, you know, there's obviously, like, I'm blanking, but you know they're fantastic platforms to help each other out on. Like you, you know, Google a product, a problem, and it pops up. But anyway, we're going way off topic, so let's just get jump into it. So give us a little bit of your background and and how you got into email to begin with. Yeah, so like so many people, I fell into to email. So I'm a journalist by training. Uh, I was a reporter and an editor at Condé Nast and Dow Jones for a number of years. And during that time, I covered uh, technology and retail. And one of the things that we would do to get leads for stories is sign up for retailers' promotional emails. And because they would announce, um, you know, when they were 
doing new things or launching new services or uh, you know at that time the web was really you know still developing and so they would be announcing you know like new web services or website features or whatever it was and those were fantastic leads for stories and so whether we then follow up with the the retailer so that was sort of my first you know exposure to email and uh, when I was with Dow Jones, blogs started to kind of appear on the scene. And the pivotal moment for me is that my brother started a blog. And like a competitive younger brother, I was like, well, if my brother can start a blog, like I can start a blog. And his was just like a personal blog. But I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to write about something else. What can I write about? And I was like, well, you know, I see all these emails all the time. Let me do that. And I'll just like, blog every day about like the the retail emails that I get and you know what are they talking about and what does the design look like and you know and it was really at that point that I started to really get an email marketing education and was you know reading a lot about email and sharing stuff every day and really starting to meet people and that was how I met uh, Jeannie Mullen who had uh, just started the email experience council and after a little while uh, not very long, actually, about six months or so uh, of knowing her. Um, I quit my job at Dow Jones, joined the EEC, and sort of the, the rest is history. That was really, from then on, it was uh, no looking back, and I've been in the email space ever since. All right, so what, what are the things that you find in your inbox that kind of, you know, give you a bad feeling? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think the number one thing is cold emails. Um, you know, here in the United States, you can email anybody. In, and on a mass basis, and it shows. It shows, it shows when <laughs> you're not sending a one-to-one cold email. So I guess I should stipulate like mass cold email. It's just really horrible. Like it's just so clear that you know it's not tailored, you know, to me. And in many cases, like they don't know who I am, <laughs> like at all. And so the email is just way off base, and it's just you know it's an easy decision to junk that. So that's probably the most annoying thing, and especially. Since I've I've been here at Oracle and, you know, I have this title of, you know, a research director, they think I'm like researching all kinds of things. And so, uh, (laughs) so I I attract a lot of cold email, unfortunately, and the vast, like 99% of it is just Mm -hmm. completely off base. So that's super annoying. I think the other like pet peeve that I have uh, right now, looking at promotional emails that I've like subscribed for is that so many of them are not mobile friendly. And it's a sad, sad thing to see, you know, here in 2021, because uh, we, we were chatting before the show started and I was talking about how there was a period of time, probably in like, you know, 2011, 2012, where it felt like we were like a little bit of a, a lull in terms of like things that we were talking about, like the conversation in the industry was getting a little circular. And because we were talking so much about, you know, mobile friendliness and responsive email design. Uh, and so it kind of felt like, for some of us, it felt like we were kind of like repeating ourselves a lot. And it breaks my heart to see that this is still a problem. And it's not about responsive design. It's about like the basics of mobile friendliness. And the thing that drives me the most insane is font sizes. Like people are like using font sizes that are just way, way too small. Like you are making me work so hard. And, you know, sometimes if I really want it, I'll, I'll pinch and zoom. But like, when you get to the point where you're asking your subscribers to pinch and zoom, like 
you've lost, you know, the vast majority of your audience. They're just not going to do it. And, um, you know, my eyesight is fine with glasses. My eyesight is <laughs> just fine. But like, I can imagine, you know, other people who have eyesight that's you know, worse than mine, you know, <laughs> like, especially older people, like, it is just too, too much to ask. Like, you gotta go easy on people. And I know that there's, you know, a lot of concerns about, you know, where the fold is and getting content above the fold and stuff. But, you know, if you can't read it, it doesn't matter, right? If it's illegible and above the fold, you have not accomplished what you want to accomplish. <laughs> so it's still got to be user friendly. So I think that's one of my my big pet peeves right now is I see in my inbox routinely big brands sending messages that are just too hard to read. You know, you uh. got to bump up that font size and be kind. And most of the time during COVID days, like during pandemic times, I'm, <laughs> I'm reading, you know, emails, you know, on my phone in controlled environments. And so imagine once people are like out and about much more, you've got to be just that much more user friendly because people are going to be out in, you know, sunny areas or in really dark mm-hmm. area, like, you know, right, like modeled light coming through, you know, leaves mm-hmm. of, you know, of trees, like be kind, use a good size font size. Somewhere right. in yeah, the that came up a 14 lot. to 18 point, somewhere in there. Yeah, that came up a lot with um, with Jay Oram. Like apparently, Elliot Ross, I'm sure you know him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has this idea of like temporary handicappedness. Um, yeah, like, you know, but I, you know, you, know, you were just talking about you're in an elevator. You don't have uh, reception. You get, yeah. you know, you get, you know, and you, you don't have any, you know, alt text. And, you know, you know, and you, yeah, like all this stuff you're talking about, you're hitting on a lot of points. Yeah, Kaz, I so, want to circle back a little bit to something you said about cold emails. Just because like the whole cold email world, like rock as you know, when I went from like big brand or whatever business, you know, marketing emails uh, to a consultancy. And then I like find out there's this whole like dark side of email. <laughs> like in the email world, it's like you don't buy lists. And I think of buying lists as like this thing from like, you know, Southeast Asia, we have lists we can sell you. No, no, it's like huge brands, billion dollar brands sell data. You know, like I, I'm shocked by it. But now I, I and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but like, yeah, I have clients, I'm running campaigns for them using one of these tools, you know, where the, you know, like, yeah, paid good money to get like really targeted lists of a business niche that they're trying to market to. And I hope they pay, paid good money because that's usually a marker <laughs> that it's maybe worthwhile. Like I think so often it's viewed as like this like quick and cheap way to like build a list. And if it's <laughs> uh, if it's cheap, it's garbage. Oh, but if it's look- cheap, it's garbage. No, but I'm really talking about, I mean, whatever. I don't want to name, I'm not, I'm not doing any promotional uh, activity here, but um, they, they're, they're, yeah, big names and, you know, verified yeah. emails, low bounce rates, all the stuff. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we have clients. they charge too. really good money for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have clients too that, that dabble in this. This is, you know, this is definitely <laughs> the part of email marketing that I really don't like. And I feel like, <laughs> um, yeah, you're always better off building organically, but you know, sometimes brands are impatient or, yeah, you know, they're looking for shortcuts. It oh, happens, for sure. um, but no, it's not the best. But I did want to go back to what you were saying before about you know uh, about essentially what you're talking about is inclusive design, and so you called it temporary, but I would call it situational 
impairments. You know, this idea you that like, you know, you're in a situation where, you know, you have like one handful. So you effectively have like one useful hand, uh, which obviously is not the same as if you were missing <laughs> a limb, but like in that moment, you have, you know, an impairment. And the same thing as if you were out in bright sunlight, you know, that makes it harder to see things too. And so I really love this idea of inclusive design where you're talking about, you know, trying to make it, you know, the experience good for everybody. You know, people who have permanent, you know, impairments, but also people who have temporary impairments, you know, a broken arm, just had, you know, eye surgery, you know, have an ear infection, like things that will like go away and get fixed. But like in that moment, they're like very impaired for a period of time. And then lastly, situational, which is, you know, just in that moment where they're not able to be 100%, you know, like they, they might normally be. And so I really, I really love that way of thinking about it, because I feel like, especially here in the United States, like, I mean, there's a reason we have laws that, you know, mandate and penalize people for not being accommodative to people with disabilities. There's a reason we have laws. And it's because we wouldn't do it otherwise. And so I, I like this, like, recognizing that there's these other temporary situations <laughs> and situational instances where you could do similar things that would help all of these people. You know, it makes that bucket mm -hmm. so much bigger and drives home that like, we're all kind of in this together rather than seeing it as like, oh, there's this narrow part of my audience, you know, that has these special needs. Mm -hmm. You know what, we, we all have special needs at different times and in different situations. So yeah, so things like using a large font size, that's good for everybody. Right, right, right. Now, and it's interesting, you know, just, you know, when you want to have like a lot of content, like, I mean, I, I'm thinking of Dan Oshinsky as, you know, his email is, you know, just a link to his giant email. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so people scroll, <laughs> you know, if, if it's not user friendly, people are going to scroll. Right. I mean, that's so For sure. I mean, short and bad is, is, is still bad, <laughs> you know, but if it's long and like easy to interact with, no, it's super easy to scroll, you know, you spin right. that scroll wheel or, you know, flick your finger, yeah, flick your finger. Yeah. No, but you said a great thing also, just even just being on the road or just being, you know, like you are not, you know, you don't have two hands and like, you don't even have brain space to like, really, you know, like, Oh, boom, boom. Okay. That was interesting. You know, like, but if it's not boom, boom, if it requires more than that, you're out, you lost yeah. it. Yeah, and again, like the formatting stuff also makes it easier to like absorb information, right? If it's tiny, like you're you're kind of like squinting, you're working hard. But if it's like easy to read, you know, it's easier to absorb. You know, certainly, absolutely oh, use bullets and all the all the other tricks too, subheads and mm -hmm. you know everything that's good. You know, sort of text design. Uh, you need to yeah, or even like well. text on like images where like there's not enough contrast and like yeah you can't read it and yeah that's it that's another <laughs> that's another pet peeve of mine recently is uh seeing a lot of brands using really incredible images but that those images have a lot of tonal variations and so when they run text across it like part of the text is awesome but then part of it is not. And so it's just very like, like that's not good enough, right? It can't be, you know, that, you know, half your text, half your characters are very legible and the other half of your characters are not like, that's still a bad experience. So yeah, you gotta, gotta be careful about these things. I mean, the legibility, it's like, it's just basic. You know, we gotta get those basic things down. For sure. Why do you think email is such an amazing platform? All right, so so here I, I do have a few notes, and this is one I took notes on, because there's 
frankly, there's so many reasons why email is awesome that I couldn't like memorize them all. So, uh, so, so pardon me. I, was, I, I feel like, I feel like this could be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> email marketing is really, it's special. It's a special animal and um, it's really amazing. So first of all, like everybody has an email account. Like I think it's like 90 to 95%, somewhere in there, essentially everybody has an email account, which is great. That means you have like incredible reach. So, uh, secondly, it's not just like any account. Like in many cases, it's your like it's your account of record, right? Like that's where all of your you know shopping receipts go, you know, uh, tax forms, important financial documents, like everything of like great import ends up in your inbox, you know, and gets put on a folder or archive. So it's not just any place, you know. It's not. Um, yeah, you know, it's not TikTok, right? Like it's it's something that you you hold on to, and you and your really important stuff is there. So that's really important. The next one I think is actually maybe like almost the important most important thing is that it's the most preferred channel for brand communications. Years and years and years of surveys have shown this just endlessly that consumers prefer to hear from brands via email. And I think this is one of the things that marketers and brands really lose sight of like on a routine basis. Anytime any new sh- uh, shiny platform comes along, the next TikTok, you know, the next Pinterest, whatever, anytime these new platforms pop up, like marketers are like, oh, that's where the eyeballs are. So I need to rush over there. And, you know, they do this thing where they insert themselves into a platform that really isn't like made for them, but they kind of like butt their way into the room and, you know, put their elbows out and knock people out of the way and insert themselves into these conversations. And I really think it's, it's worth really recognizing like where you're wanted, right? And in the inbox is where you're really wanted and accepted. And I think that's like a really powerful thing versus being somewhere where you are intruding on the conversation. Uh, marketers seem to be endlessly optimistic that they can be the cool kid, you know, wherever they go. I don't, I don't know that that's like always successful, but the email inbox is very welcoming of brands. And I think that that makes it like just a really powerful place because you're not uh, you're not fighting so much friction. You're not, you know, you're not climbing up hill so much trying to con- convince people that you're in the right place. All right. So also, it's an open platform. Nobody owns email, although certainly you see Apple right now flexing pretty hard <laughs> and making a lot of uh, big changes, you know, um, on their own. But it's still a platform that is, for the most part, open and not, you know, not a walled garden, right? And that gives it not only stability, right? So it's not going to MySpace and like go away. It's not going to Google wave on you and wave bye-bye. Um, so that's good for stability, but also it keeps the cost low because nobody um, controls all the levers. Although, again, I think at this moment we've had at least here in the United States, but I think in other places too, kind of a lot of consolidation, but it's like, you know, it's kind of becoming an oligopoly, like not a lot of, like there's only a handful of really big players that control most of everything. And that starts to make it a little bit dangerous, but still we've got this, you know, this this nice open platform that keeps the cost low for everybody. So that's also really good. Supports rich media and interactivity. That's fantastic. It supports one-to-one. 
that's very easy to address just one person. So you're not constantly like broadcasting to everybody. You know, Twitter is fantastic. I love Twitter. I do a lot on Twitter, but you're broadcasting to, to everybody all the time. And email allows you to very nicely be able to send one-to-one emails to people via automations or to create nice segments where you're sending a more targeted message to just some of your audience. So that's super powerful. It's pretty immediate thanks to mobile. Yeah, we've already kind of like been crying a little bit about mobile friendliness, but um, the fact that so many people read their email on mobile devices makes it pretty immediate, which is amazing and different from how it was say 15 years ago when I started in this industry. You know, there you had like multiple days sometimes before emails would get read. And now you've got like a pretty condensed timeline of reads. It's relatively highly measurable. And I say relatively because it's way more measurable than, say, TV or radio <laughs> or mm-hmm. billboards or anything like that. But it's certainly not perfect. There's lots of gaps. But we do have pretty decent visibility into what's going on. So we're not in the dark. And then I think lastly, I would say that it's sort of like the number one conversion and retention channel. Like this is a channel that's just fantastic for like existing fans, existing customers to keep them coming back and coming back and nurturing them along. So again, that's a long list of reasons. I think all those are like really unique. And if you start thinking about other channels that could match up against those characteristics, a lot of channels start to fall out pretty fast. Like there's a bunch of really unique and powerful things about email. Yeah, no, there's no question. And, you know, just saying it's like the most, you know, like I, I story from today, um, one of my clients, I do a, a newsletter for every day, got like eight orders from a client. And and in the email she sent him, she's like she actually sent an email instead of ordering online because uh, whatever, she was temporarily having a problem. But she sent an email said, I'd like to order eight, you know, of this of this item. And then just as a side, I love your newsletter. I read it every week. It makes me so happy. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, I just wrote like, yeah, email works. <laughs> you know, like that's it. All right. What do companies need to be doing to really get the most from their email marketing efforts? Yeah. So here I'll just say, I mean, there's a lot of things obviously that brands could do, but I think mm-hmm. if I like had to narrow it down to one thing, I think it would be to like integrate email into like your broader marketing activities and, and into your broader organization. You know, it needs to be de-siloed. And I think email has been having like a really successful time of becoming de-siloed over the last few years. I'm anxious for that momentum to continue because I think that email, you know, as much as I'm like a super email mm-hmm. fan, like email is most powerful, you know, when it's used with with other channels. Like omnichannel is absolutely where everything is headed. So, you know, the, you see periodically like, oh, SMS is like better than email for this reason, or, you know, you know, organic, you know, like SEO is better than email or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's so tired. It's so tired. Like it's not email versus anything. Yeah. People love to kick email because like <laughs> nobody like, since nobody owns email, like, you know, it's like a very easy thing to pick a fight with because it doesn't really fight back, right? When you pick a fight with Facebook, like Facebook will fight back. But like, you know, when uh, when Facebook takes a, a swing at email, like it's so the ownership is so distributed that like nobody fights back. And so you have all of these like ridiculous scenarios over the years where like Facebook Messenger is going to like, is going to kill email. And uh, RSS was supposed to kill email and like just ridiculous nonsense on and on and on and on. So we're having a nice time where we're de-siloing it. 
that's great. And I think that presents actually a lot of like great opportunities for email to, you know, take lessons learned from other channels and to hopefully drive companies more towards getting like a 360 degree view of their customers um, so that, you know, that email marketers can then better understand like in totality, you know, that, you know, we do a pretty good job of understanding our subscribers, but we need to do a better job of understanding our customers, right? Like we can't just treat them as an entity that like lives in that one channel because that's not how, that's not how consumers operate today, right? They're in all these different channels, multiple touches, and so, you know, we need to recognize that. And so there's great learnings that email can, can get from other channels and then vice versa. So uh, uh-huh. de-siloing is the way to go. That's really interesting. I think yeah, you might be the first person to mention that as like something brands should be doing. So congratulations for an original answer. Yeah, that's just not something I hear often. You know, like, yeah, try to integrate. Um, I think actually... I think a cafe probably mentioned something about that. That wouldn't be surprising but, to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the holistic, that's our whole thing. Holistic email, you know, yeah. it's a, a very holistic approach. Mm-hmm. You know, people yeah, she's, are she's not on one on. platform. And yeah, and people aren't on one platform. Treat them, you know, treat them where you find them. Okay. All right. So how can companies build a list in a positive way? Yeah. So we talked a little bit already about um, like organic growth. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> really important. I think a big part of that is like looking at where you are attracting subscribers currently, you know, looking at all of your different subscriber acquisition sources. I think um, looking at them, looking at your subscribers performance by acquisition sources is a really critical way of understanding which acquisition sources are actually performing well for you and which ones are not. And, uh, And I think in a lot of cases, brands sort of like dump all those into one place and then all the not so great subscribers that came through not so great acquisition channels, they sort of get lost, you know, and all the nice clean pure water and you can't really see them anymore. But if you track by channel, you can really see that like some of your acquisition channels are really delivering most of your complaints, most of your bounces, you know, most of your inactivity. And that there's really, in many cases, probably like, you know, three or four, like a very small number of acquisition sources that are really your your killer champions. Like they're the ones that are attracting subscribers that have great brand affinity and are really, you know, either solid customers or solid subscribers. And if you have a subscription-based business. So I think that's a big one. And once you identify those acquisition channels that are really your big performers, then you go in and you optimize. Now you know where to focus, optimize those channels and make them even better for you. So, you know, really, um, you know, using a unique, you know, onboarding sequence that's, you know, unique to that channel that really speaks to those customers or those prospects that are coming through that channel, you know, and then doing it for the next one as well. So that you're really, you know, just squeezing the most you can out of each of those uh, acquisition sources and to make like the best onboarding experience you possibly can. All right. That's awesome. I mean... I'll tell you, just uh, hearing you talk about how, like, you know, you might find one of your channels, that's where all the bounces are coming from. Like, it's reminded me a lot of, you know, like, I don't know, Mark Rober and Mr. Beast are very popular in my household. (laughs) And uh, they've been doing this thing about the ocean cleanup. And apparently, yeah, like the hundred out of all the rivers in the world, it's like a hundred, the worst rivers are bringing all the the plastic into the ocean. So, yeah, it's sort of like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, where my head is going. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's really accurate. And again, I think like we just many times don't have the visibility to see, yeah, which acquisition sources are poisoning our list, right? Like all of our problems, you know, are probably from like one or two of our acquisition sources. All right. So what do you do all day at Oracle? <laughs> so I have a great job. So uh, my my job is to lead uh, content marketing efforts and thought leadership efforts for Oracle Marketing Consulting. So we're a group of uh, around 500 digital marketing consultants, and we we do it all. Uh, a lot of what we do is email, but we also do web and social media marketing and all kinds of SMS and all kinds of other stuff. And so my job is to look at the questions that we get from our clients and then kind of work with the team to come up with you know points of view to to help you know answer those questions to share with our clients and and then you know the other fun part of my job is to then take some of that and repurpose it into something that we can share uh, publicly so that everybody sees, you know, we have like just incredibly smart people out there. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I get the the glory of taking credit for <laughs> a lot of those mm-hmm. great ideas, but uh, it really is uh, amazing. We have so many smart people here at Oracle uh, that I get to work with and interact with on a daily basis. And that's one of the great things that I really enjoy about my job is I get to interact with all these smart people all the time. They make me smarter. And uh, I like to think I, I help them too. I help refine <laughs> their ideas and get their ideas out there. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's that's what I do. And you know, we're always, you know, paying attention kind of first and foremost to, you know, what what are our clients thinking about? What are they wondering about? What are they worrying about? And then, you know, looking for ways that we can kind of you know, fill those gaps uh, with something that's a great starting point for a conversation that then goes much deeper into the particular brand. All right. So tell us, how did you get, you know, you started at Dow Drones and then you're at Oracle. There's a lot of years in between. And I know about Exact Target and, and Litmus at least. So let's hear about it. Yeah. So yeah. So after, after I, I left journalism, I joined the Email Experience Council and I was there for a while, and then the Direct Marketing Association acquired us. And you know, recently the ANA acquired <laughs> the DMA. Uh, this is sort of a theme of my time in the industry: lots of acquisitions. So, uh, so the DMA acquired us, and then from there, after a while, I went on and joined this email marketing agency called Smith Harmon. Fantastic, you know, email marketing boutique agency, and they got acquired <laughs> by. Um, <laughs> by Responsus, which was pre-being acquired by Oracle later on. <laughs> and I was with Responsus for a number of years. So in some cases, I'm a little bit of a boomerang here at Oracle. There's actually still quite a few people here from my Responsus days, which was really nice. So in a way, you know, joining Oracle was a little bit like coming home because there was a lot of people here uh, still that I knew, which is fantastic. Uh, so after uh, a while at Responsus, I did the unthinkable and went to Exact Target, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, no one seemed to hold that against me, but you know, definitely was maybe not like <laughs> the coolest move. But uh, ET was great. Uh, I had a lot of fun there. We did a lot of really interesting research. And sort of along that whole journey, I was doing a lot of the, sort of the same kinds of things, like looking at email marketing trends, looking at email marketing best practices, really staying on top of, you know, like what is the industry talking about or what should the industry be talking about? 
And how can we like move that conversation forward, always with an eye on how can we help our clients and our customers be more effective? And so I had a great time at ET and then Salesforce acquired us and I was fine for about a year and then it got not so fine. And uh, <laughs> I went to Litmus after that, which is also fantastic and was there for I think about four years before joining Oracle. So I think it's a great, a great ride in the industry and appreciate that I've been able to work with, you know, a variety of, you know, tech providers, mostly in sort of the consultative um, space, but, you know, different size, you know, customers, you know, Litmus obviously caters much more to, you know, to a lot of smaller brands. You know, they have some really big brands too, but, you know, much more of a, a mix versus say here at Oracle, where I definitely get very steeped in like the enterprise point of view. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. I've had a pleasure of working with a lot of amazing people. Email marketers who run high volume email programs know that the ease with which you can make decisions impacts campaign success. And that's why OnGage made sure it's easy to act on, optimize, and leverage your data. With OnGage, you'll be able to send your customers on personalized journeys based on the data from an action-based dashboard and with in-depth reporting. To learn more, visit hilleberg.com OnGage and discover what OnGage can do for you. Right now, like you said, like the the you know the industry is filled with you know it's a lot of nice people and and it's it's a great community. So it, I guess you know we're all really blessed, I guess, to be part of that. Oh, for sure. So yeah, you wrote an amazing book, and I feel like it was one of the first. I don't know if you know any books that were written before that, but the email marketing rules. It was like sort of my bible. Uh, it was the first email marketing book I bought. I hope you got a few pens from that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's well, that's awesome to hear, and I do hear that uh, quite often, uh, which is one of the best things, frankly. <laughs> when people tell me like, "Oh, like I'm new to the industry, and I just got your book, and it's like, oh, so helpful, like for like really getting the lay of the land." When I hear that, that just uh, <laughs> that fills me with such joy, because you know, because that's really the reason why I, I wrote the book. So it was this was you know back. So I published the first edition of E-Marketing Rules back in 2013. And I think I started writing it in like 2011. And it was around that time, there was a lot of talk about like, really like dissing best practices. And there was all this jibber jabber talk about how, you know, the best practice is the practice that's best for your business. And I just thought that was such nonsense. You know, best practices are, you know, it's kind of like the, it's the group think about what you should do. And it doesn't arise out of nothing. Like it arises out of consumer behaviors and out of like business practices. Like, you know, and it's like a really fantastic place to start. And in many cases, stop. <laughs> you know, so sometimes there's, you know, best practices that lead you to like, um, you know, to do something slightly different. You can like put a little bit of a twist on it. Uh, but sometimes like some of the best practices, like, like they're just, they just are. You should just do that. And there's a lot of uh, like, I think again, sort of nonsense talk about how like best practices lead to sameness, and I think that's equally a ridiculous thing to say. That's like saying, you know what, all cars are the same because they've all got four wheels and like a windshield, and they've got like pedals and steering wheels. They're all the same. Like 
that's crazy. Cars are not all the same because they have those things in common. They all, they all have engines. They're all the same. No. So that just seems that that kind of talk, like after a while, was like really just irritating me. So I was like, you know what? What are all the best practices? And not like the the points of execution, but like the points like underneath the execution, sort of like the foundational stuff, right? Because executions change, right? Like, you know, having a, like a user-friendly email design, like that changes as technology changes, but like there's sort of like a, a base level of what you're trying to accomplish. And so I tried really hard <laughs> to focus on those things and not get like swept up into different executions or different technologies. You're not going to find a lot of code in my book because the code stuff changes all the time. And there's all, you know, things come in and out of support. And so that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, what's that like foundational layer that you're trying to accomplish uh, and like that foundational level thinking. And so that was why I wrote the book because frankly, I got kind of ticked off by like how people were talking about best practice. And I, I wanted to be a champion for for frankly, like common sense is how I've always thought about it is that, you know, best practices are just like steeped in common sense and consumer behaviors and a bunch of stuff that like you kind of can't change. And in many cases, when you fight best practices, you're just you're just fighting against the consumer because the consumer has certain mm -hmm. expectations. And when you violate that, you know, do you stand out? Absolutely. Is it a good kind of standing out? Mm, debatable in a lot of cases. Like, yeah, I remember. Um, so, for instance, I remember when Groupon had like their innovative like unsubscribe page where they had like uh, a fun video of like somebody like getting like chastised or abused like every time somebody like opted out, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is so amazing and wonderful!" You know, oh, they're really like standing out and being creative, and that unsubscribe page and certainly all the buzz around what they did led a ton of people to unsubscribe so that they could see that. And in some cases, they didn't resubscribe. And in other cases, they resubscribed, you know, with a different email address, which caused, you know, multiple identities in their databases. Mm -hmm. And eventually, they stopped it because it was bad. <laughs> so they stood <laughs> out, but it caused harm to their system. So I would encourage people to like think about, you know, in this like attention driven society that we have, you know, I don't believe that like all PR is good PR. Like think about how you actually want to stand out and make sure that it's like it has a purpose and that you're not just some, you know, attention hungry person. <laughs> uh, nobody likes thirsty people, right? Like have a purpose and don't do things that, you know, are going to cause, you know, harm just because you're trying to stand out. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of like a canned question, you know, but yeah, you just talked about, I'd love to talk about your book more because it really did have such a, but I, I just loved in your book, exactly what you just said, more or less, is that, you know, you basically are creating the template or something, you know, if you will. But like, yeah, you say like, this is not going to like make everyone the same. Like in that space, you have so much creative license, but it created the space for you. If I told 100 people <laughs> to draw a dog, everybody would draw a different <laughs> dog, right? But no two would be the same. And it's sort of the same thing with email marketing best practices. Like you lay out these right. basic <laughs> fundamental rules that steer people in the right direction. And they're all going to end up with different programs because, you know, they have unique voices, they have unique audiences, and on and on and on and on. There's no danger of sameness. <laughs> right. And you really did boil it down. 
like where you're talking about like the underlying principle you know like don't you you write like the rule as like i mean you know the rules probably you know i can't even recall exactly how you'd phrase it but you wouldn't say like you know make the text like mobile friendly <laughs> like you'd say like make sure a text all text is easily read i don't know like yeah and yeah, um yeah it's sort of like good idea bad idea time. you know <laughs> make you know make text hard to read bad idea <laughs> <laughs> all right so yeah anyway go ahead what are your top five email marketing tips for 2022 sure so uh yeah here again i want i got some quick notes so uh first <laughs> i would say is um not to lose the empathy that we gained during the pandemic i was really heartened by all the messaging that i saw in my inbox in late March and definitely into April and May of 2020. It really was amazing to see how the industry recognized how the consumer had changed and that consumers were focused on different things and they had different priorities and that consumers were stressed and marketing messaging changed. And you saw you know, a lot of like reactivation messaging and shopping cart abandonment messaging, like change and become more, you know, more subscribe, more consumer, like empathetic and more friendly instead of all about like me, hey, you left and you didn't buy my thing. Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. And became, you know, or, you know, why haven't you opened my emails in a while? It, it, the messaging changed you because they recognized that, you know, maybe they haven't opened your message in a while because they were hospitalized or because a loved one was hospitalized or for a variety of other reasons that had nothing to do with the pandemic, right? So that was amazing to see. And I can see some of that starting to kind of slip away. And so I would encourage people to like not lose the empathy that they gained during the pandemic. So that would be number one. Number two, probably not a surprise anybody who's been listening to anything I've been saying recently, is that pay attention to Apple's mail privacy protection and like do the work to mitigate those changes. I think mostly like the most, the, the high, biggest impact is on enterprise, like very large senders, but even small senders need to pay attention to what's going on with that and how it could potentially affect them. I think we're, we're just at the beginning, I think, of really starting to, to wrangle the impacts of this. So, well, I think it, it really, yeah, it really depends on like, you know, if that's the way the industry is going to follow, you know, like, I mean, when Andrew Bonar was here, you know, he, I asked him, what's his, uh, what's, yeah, the first question, like, what's the thing that bothers you? He's like, oh, the tracking pixel. <laughs> I don't see any images in my inbox. And, and I know because I worked in this industry, you know, how much information we can glean with that pixel. Um, and then, you know, a year later, you know, Apple's like, yeah, the end of it. So, uh, yeah, I guess it depends if like this is like a tide that's happening. Um, but also I'm curious, like what you think about this. I feel like ESPs should be doing a lot to make it easier for marketers, you know, to say like, okay, this is your app, you know, like segment my Apple clients, you know, just to yeah, do which, it for automatically. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Well, you know, so Oracle <laughs> is well on its way to doing that. We segment out uh, what we're calling auto opens generated by Apple. Uh, so we already do that today in responses and there's going to be more happening. And I think a lot of other ESPs are going to do similar things. Yeah, you know, we didn't get a lot of time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, uh, to, to react to this. Like, you know, it was announced on June 10th 
And uh, and on, I think it was June 30th, it went into open beta. And then it went live on September 20th. So we have very little time. And now we're going into the holidays. And hopefully everybody is doing what we're doing and locking down their code base for the holiday season so we don't mess anything up you know, during this critical time of the year. So we had like a pretty short window to make adjustments before having to lock down our code base for the holiday season. And I think a lot of brands are, a lot of VSPs are going to make more changes or make maybe all of their changes, you know, early in the new year. So again, we're just at the beginning of this. Now you did mention, you know, tracking pixels and, you know, how, you know, the, the privacy connections that I will confess that I'm slightly conflicted about, about this. I didn't think this was a big deal prior. And I like to think that I'm pretty on the up and up about mm-hmm. respecting you know, subscribers. But in many ways, I really see like open tracking pixels as kind of like a first party cookie. And I don't hear anybody up in arms about first party cookies, like going crazy over that. Third party cookies, yes, right? Like that's yeah. I hear that's, I hear that. That's a very good analysis. You know, right? I people mean, people are opting into this. They don't need this. Like nobody needs promotional emails. Nobody. Right. Nobody needs that, but they want it, right? So they're saying, hey, send that to me. Now right. I do agree that we're not transparent about all the things that tracking pixels could do. And I, for me, the thing that is the most problematic is the location stuff. Like, uh, uh, so like had Apple just use proxy servers to obscure locations? Absolutely. Like, frankly, <laughs> like we probably should have done that already. Right. You know, so like that makes it like, just a ton of sense to me, but I don't understand like this kind of like war on opens, you know, where, you know, people like marketers shouldn't know when you interact with a message from them. Like, I don't, I, I just being honest, like I don't fundamentally understand why that's a problem that when I talk to somebody, I don't get to see if they're paying attention to what I'm saying. I don't feel like there's anything nefarious there, but the location stuff, absolutely, that's problematic. I mean, frankly, had they done everything in MPP except for creating false opens, I probably would have been like 100% fine with it. But it feels like, for me, like that's like the bridge too far because again, this is, a, this is an opt-in permission-based channel where people are raising their hands and they don't need it. It is not the web. Email is not the web and it is not apps, right? You cannot function in modern society without going to websites and using apps. You just can't. So it's not an option. But promotional email, which again, I feel like is like the crux of this, is completely optional. But our transparency hasn't been great. And you know, I'm, I'm sure that the Andrew is telling you, like, there's this there's this long arc of privacy that's been going on, right? And I think the thing that caught most of us off guard is that we didn't perceive the shift from legislative privacy to like big tech privacy. I think that's the shift that caught us all off guard, right? Because if you look back, you know, Castle, I want to say 2012, 2013, something like that, you know, Castle happened. And then a few years later, GDPR happened, you know, each with long implementation cycles. And then CCPA happened here in the United States. Like there is a very clear arc of progress on this issue. And I think the thing that caught us all off guard is that we missed the baton pass from governments 
to big tech. And certainly, uh, you know, Google starting to, you know, deprecate third-party cookies. I think that was the sign that, like, I certainly missed in, like, kind of connecting the dots. So for me, Apple, like, really blindsided me. I didn't expect that to happen. But, like, this is the moment that we're having where now, you know, big tech companies essentially have the power to legislate privacy, and they're doing it in a very different fashion than we're used to, right? There's no open comment period. There's no two-year implementation window. It's just, you know, doing it without talking to anybody, and now it's rolled out three months later. Uh, and that's that's kind of rough. <laughs> and, 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 and it's the fault also, right? Like, like Apple users, you know, people that have an Apple device, like by default, they're not see, you know, they're not tracking their opens. It's not like an opt-in thing. Yeah. So yeah. So to get back uh, to the list, so that's, that's number two. <laughs> so number three, uh, we talked about subscriber acquisition sources. I'm a big fan of optimizing those, measuring those. I think that's that should be on everybody's to-do list for for next year. That's important, and especially as we. You know, as the impact of MPV is felt for big enterprises, trying to make sure that that subscriber quality is good is going to help you to avoid some deliverability problems uh, because of MPV obscuring opens, which makes it harder to select audiences uh, that are active. So you should give yourself a, a little bit of a quality boost. Four, uh, segmentation, personalization. We've seen a lot of that during the pandemic. Everyone sort of went back to the basics during the pandemic as teams got leaner and um, you know and everybody had to kind of work work harder with less uh, we saw a lot of people you know not doing fancy interactive emails not doing amp for email but really focusing on the basics of personalization and segmentation uh, and, and and automation so that's really important and uh, and so my fifth one would be automation and not only like launching new automations, but optimizing the ones that you have. I always say that an automated email is, is a living, breathing animal, right? Uh, we treat it like we're, we're shooting a gun. Like we treat it like we're just firing off like a missile or a bullet or something. And like once we fire it off, once we load it up, you know, and we hit start, it just goes. And right. that's not the case, right? These things need regular care and nurturing. They need you to pay attention to them to make sure they're still healthy, that none of the links are broken or images are broken. You have to check that language, which again, we saw a lot of people doing during the pandemic, revisiting the language they were using in automations. That's great. So I think there's a ton, a ton to be gained from optimizing and like regularly reviewing and even A-B testing automations, which are drastically under A-B tested compared oh. to broadcast emails. <laughs> drastically, which is sad because most which automations is, are like so much more effective than broadcast emails. Like, mm -hmm. so any A-B testing you do, any optimization you do on your triggered emails, you know, any incremental gain is magnified because these emails are so effective. The ROI is so high on them, but we're like, we're all very caught up in the day-to-day -day and getting that next broadcast email out that we don't, we don't give these programs the time and attention that they truly, truly deserve. Yeah, and that's really it. I think, you know, my own experience, you know, like it took so much effort to get that welcome series up, you know, that we finally got it done and it's running. Great. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, we're very uh, to-do list oriented in email, always moving on to the next thing. But um, that maintenance it's really important that maintenance yeah. and ongoing optimization is really super powerful and it's no more powerful than with automations.
All right. So yeah. So now we just sort of touched on it, but where are the email pitfalls? I would say that still not getting some of the basics right uh, is really important. You know, again, my my pet peeve <laughs> about like text size being too small, like that's like a really easy to fix problem. I think some of those basics uh, we really we fall down on pretty hard. And you know, when you don't get some of those basics right, then you know, that advanced stuff you do kind of doesn't matter nearly so much. So I would definitely have people uh, focus on getting those basics right. And then the other big thing I would have people focus on that, you know, I think is a, is a big pitfall is that I think often email marketers see their jobs as managing campaigns. And I think that that's a not effective way to run an email marketing program. Your job is to manage subscribers. And so you should be focusing more on subscriber-centric metrics and a lot less on campaign-centric metrics. You're not managing a series of campaigns. You're managing people. Uh, You're managing customers and prospects. And your job is to serve them and to nurture them. And you're not about like optimizing campaigns. You're about sort of optimizing the experience of people. So there, there are ways that you can do that. And it sort of starts with using the right kinds of metrics, but you know, a lot of it is the frame of mind as well. So I think that's another big pitfall. Okay, so what are your favorite brands and why? Yeah, so you know, I'd love to say that there was like brands I feel like are doing like tons of amazing things, but like the brands that I tend to gravitate towards are just the ones that are talking about the things that I'm sort of like most interested in at the time. So like I always open Fandango's emails um, because I want to know what movies are coming out. And uh, in that case, they actually do a pretty good job of like they uh, have like embedded video, like uh, animated GIFs that like give you an ex- a, a sense of what a movie is like. And then you can click through and watch the trailer. You know, so it's not, I don't think they're doing anything like magical, mm-hmm. but like they're talking about like a thing that I care about, which is why I signed up and they're doing it in an effective way. Ikea, I've got kids that abuse furniture. So we shop at Ikea for <laughs> some, And I feel like they actually have been doing just a fantastic job of like understanding where people are at. Like their subject lines lately have just been fantastic, really homing in on what are we about uh, psychologically, you know, during the pandemic, how we're nesting, but also talking about, you know, like green issues. And like, I feel like they're just really tapped in to like, what are people thinking about right now? What's sort of top of mind? And they're able to frame up those issues in line with themselves and their products and really tell a story uh, where you're connecting all those dots. I feel like they've been doing a fantastic job. And then lastly, uh, Readsy. I'm working uh, sort of a side passion project. I'm, I'm writing a sci-fi novel. And they have great content about you know writing novels and what you should do and not do and what you should think about. And so I'm there for the content you know that they promote in their emails. Oh, good luck with that. That's uh, Thanks. a little sneak, little sneak preview. Uh, <laughs> Based on the previous experience, I guess it'll be about two years. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a little while. <laughs> yeah, uh, writing a novel is way harder than writing a nonfiction book. I will say that. All of these books up here are books that I've been reading on novel writing. So deep down in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So a similar question, but what are your all, all-time favorite email campaigns and what made them so memorable for you? Yeah, so, so I've got a few for sure. So I mean, I love the year-end review emails. Um, Spotify has done 
good ones, uh, Nintendo uh, and others. I think those are great because they like they just they're all in on the personalization and you can really see yourself in it. I think those have been fantastic. I was really sad to see Spotify like go from an email based one to like where they drive you to the the website to see your stats and figures and stuff. That was a little sad, but um, <laughs> uh, I think those emails really stand out to me. You know, again because they're just like a thousand percent personalized. So those are great. Um, I also like some of the scrollers that I've seen over the years. So there was this email uh, from Beach Park, which is um, like a water park, um, I want to say in Brazil. And they sent out an email again years ago. And this email, I want to say, was like 12,000 pixels tall. <laughs> a really <laughs> super tall. And like the idea is that they had this like monstrously tall like water slide. And you had to like just like flip, 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 flip. And they had like a blurred photo. It, like it gave you that experience of going down this massive water slide. And then it had a CTA at the bottom, <laughs> way, way, way down <laughs> at the bottom. And like all these years later, like that stand, stands out in my mind. You know, it's like a really kind of simple concept and it breaks in certain environments because it's so tall. But like they really were able to convey through an experience what that water slide was like in a way that was exciting and surprising. And I thought really powerful. There was also another email from the Canadian Tourism Commission, again, also a number of years ago. Good for and them. it had um, it had side scrolling and like you would it was like a it was sort of like a treasure hunt. And so you had to like kind of find the CTA, <laughs> but like they would tell you like, oh, like go to the left. And so you would like scroll to the left and then you would find another thing and it would say like, you know, go south or whatever. Like, and so you had to like wind your way by like scrolling up and down and left and right through this, this big email, which again, in some cases broke in some environments. I think that uh, Outlook, it didn't work in, in Outlook <laughs> at all, but it was like this really unique experience that was really stuck in my head of like, Oh, I'm like following like, you know, these these instructions to like, you know, this treasure at the, you know, that's like hidden. Both of those like have always stood out in my mind. And then lastly, some of the interactive campaigns have been really special. Uh, the BBC does a bunch of really nice ones. Uh, Nest has done a bunch of really cool ones. Lego, all of those brands have done a number of really cool interactive emails that I think are also really special. Cool. All right. So what are your proudest email achievements? Yeah, so definitely my my proudest achievement was winning the EEC's 2018 Email Marketer Thought Leader of the Year award. And the thing that made that special is that you know there's a the EEC has a panel that handles the awards, and it's like the panel is like full of all of like the email marketing luminaries, and so it was it was really amazing to me that like all of those people thought that I deserve this recognition. So that, that was definitely my, my proudest moment. But that felt pretty awesome to be validated by a lot of my own like email marketing heroes. So that felt really special. All right, and we're, we've gotten to the end. So you have the floor, you know, whatever, whatever you wanna go, you know, your final thoughts. Uh, I guess my final thought would be, you know, <laughs> soak it up. This industry is like really, amazing, full of tons of amazing people who are very open and willing to share. You know, and I think one of the things that I love 
about this industry is that it's constantly changing. I've never heard an email marketer say that they're bored. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure a lot of them would say, gosh, I wish things would slow down a little bit. I'm sure that they say that all the time, but uh, no one's ever said that they were bored. And that's the part that's like super attractive to me. I love that our industry is always evolving. There's always new wrinkles. You know, sure, we've been talking about personalization for 15 years, but the way we talked about it 15 years ago versus today is just like day and night, just radically different. You know, I love the fact that we've got, you know, more AI and machine learning that's coming online. That's probably going to be, you know, a talking point for the next 20 years, probably. So there's always like this evolution of the channel. It's always uh, improving. They're always getting new wrinkles, uh, most of which are additive. Sometimes we have things like MPP, which I think is like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not even mostly good. I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't totally decided yet there, but uh, there's a lot of just like amazing new things that happen in this channel. This is not a static channel. You know, radio doesn't really change. Billboards, you know, I guess they became electronic and that sort of changed them a little bit. But like, you know, we really live, you know, we operate in a very dynamic channel, which for me is super exciting. Right. And that's probably, you know, one of the reasons why it's, it is what it is. You know, it's, uh, it can always surprise you. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, so so we should ways. appreciate that and like, you know, really like soak it up. Like, that's great. And I think the other thing that's really special about our industry is that there's always the next email, right? So if you if you sent out something and you, you sort of like thought, oh, that, that could have been better or gosh, I wish I hadn't done it quite that way in hindsight. Like you don't have to wait very long before you get another shot at, at being even better. So I, I love like the iteration that we have. There's just constant opportunities to improve and learn from mistakes and become better email marketers. That's awesome. Chad White, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're right. welcome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's our show for today. Remember, Hilleberg Email Marketing is a email marketing uh, agency helping uh, email marketing teams grow and accomplish more faster and better. So that's our show for tonight. If anyone's interested in sponsoring, you can get in touch with me at hilleberg.com slash sponsor. Good night, guys. Bye.